Well, we have finally come to the end of the book of Daniel, to Daniel chapter 12. And not only the end of the book of Daniel, but the end of Daniel's last vision. And not only the end of Daniel's last vision, but also a word about what is going to be at the end for all of us. Daniel had revealed to him many things that were future for Daniel, but are past for us. We've seen many things that uh, Daniel was told about that took place between the book of Daniel and the coming of Christ, especially in in chapter 8 and in chapter 11 um, with the the rise of the Greek Empire and the uh, outrageous behavior of Antiochus IV Epiphanes and the things he did to the Jews. Daniel was shown many things that were future for him, but that we can look back on and see how God fulfilled those visions he gave to Daniel, how what took place in history is exactly what God told Daniel would have take place even before it happened. But there were also some things that were revealed to Daniel that remain future for us. And we're going to see some of that this morning in Daniel chapter 12. But as we come to the end of the book, I, I want to begin to draw it to a close by focusing on uh, what the book of Daniel has shown us about Christ, what it has, the ways that it has pointed us to Christ from beginning to end. So you might remember all the way back in Daniel chapter 2, in the first vision of the four-part statue that was about the, the four great empires, the, uh, the, the Babylonian empire that Daniel was um, taken captive by and raised up in, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. And Daniel was shown in that vision that in the days of the Roman Empire, there would be a stone that would come and crush that statue, destroy that kingdom, and that stone would grow to be a great mountain. And we're told that that stone represented the kingdom of God, which of course Jesus brought the kingdom of God near when he began his ministry. In Mark 1.15, he said, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe in the gospel. And of course, that was during the days of the Roman Empire when Jesus came and established God's kingdom through his life, death, and resurrection, and he will bring it to fulfillment at his return. But that was sort of the first pointer in Daniel to the coming of Christ, Christ coming as a king. But we also saw in Daniel chapter 3, the the three friends of Daniel who were put into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol as he had commanded everyone to do. And the king was astonished to look into that fire and see that there were not just three figures in there, but four Now, we don't know if that was an angel that was in there sent by God to to represent his presence with his people, or if that was uh, Christ himself before his incarnation come to be with those three men in that fire. But we do know that Christ is present with us today just as that figure was present with them. For example, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, There he is with us. He's here with us now. He told his disciples as he sent them into the world in the Great Commission to make disciples and baptize them and teach them. He said, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
And when he uh, was departing, when he was about to go to the cross and was preparing his disciples for his departure, he told them, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you as orphans. I'm going to send another helper to be with you. And so Christ is always present with us. The Spirit of God is present with us. We are not abandoned even in our greatest trials and troubles, just like God did not abandon those three men. We also see a a sort of a contrast to Christ in the kings that we are told about in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar. And his successor, Belshazzar, in chapter 4 and chapter 5, were both prideful, arrogant men who got humbled and judged. But Christ, when He came, bringing the kingdom of God, was not the same kind of king that we've seen in these great empires that have ruled throughout the history of the world. He's a totally different kind of king. He's a humble king. When he came, he said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. When he came into the capital city of Jerusalem to be proclaimed as king in fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah, he did not come riding on a white horse. He came humble, just as the prophecy said he would, riding on a donkey. He's a humble king. He is a self-sacrificing king. In Daniel chapter 7, we actually see a vision of Christ. As Daniel sees the vision of one like a son of man who is able to approach the Ancient of Days and receives an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting dominion. And that one like a son of man is Jesus Himself. Right? The Son of God who has taken on flesh and come to lay down His life as king. That's why Jesus, over and over, when he talked about himself, referred to himself as the Son of Man. He's saying, I'm the one Daniel saw in that vision in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 9, we're told about an anointed one who would be cut off. We're told about an end coming to sin and there being atonement for transgression. That too, most clearly, points to Christ, the anointed one, which is what Christ means, who was cut off. In his death for our sin. Jesus, even in his teaching, took up the words of Daniel, not only calling himself the Son of Man, but in Matthew 24, he said, as he prepared his disciples for the coming judgment, he said, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus quoted Daniel, used Daniel to teach and prepare his disciples. And he speaks, Jesus does, speaks of the resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous in the same terms as Daniel does here in Daniel chapter 12. So as we begin to dig into Daniel chapter 12, just keep in mind, right, the main thing about Daniel It's not, you know, which part is about the Antichrist or, you know, which parts have been fulfilled and not fulfilled. Those things are important. But the most important things about Daniel are how Daniel points us to Christ. How Daniel shows us, tells us, prepares us for the coming of Christ, the significance of what Christ would accomplish, and most of all, how the kingdom of Christ rules over all the kingdoms of the earth. And so that is where our hope and trust is. Should be. You can't stand up against a tyrannical, domineering, arrogant kingdom like Nebuchadnezzar had 
unless you believe that there's a better kingdom that's going to outlast his kingdom. And that's what Daniel and his friends knew and were told and believed, and that's what we believe, that's where our hope is as well. So, in verse 1 of chapter 12, we're picking up the end of this long vision in Daniel chapter uh, 11 and then into the first few verses of chapter 12. And I mentioned last week, it's hard to know at the end of that vision where it begins to shift from talking about Antiochus IV and the horrible things he did to the Jews and then when it shifts to something that still remains even future for us with the, uh, the works of the Antichrist and what will happen at the end. But by chapter 12, it does seem extremely likely that the vision has moved forward to what's going to happen at the end, particularly because in verse 2 it's going to talk about the resurrection. So here's what he says in verse 1. He says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Now, back in chapter 10, we were uh, told more about Michael, that he is associated with the Jewish nation, and that there are spiritual beings, uh, fallen angels, who are tied to uh, different uh, nations. Right. So there's the, the prince of Persia, and there's the prince of Greece, and these are not worldly princes, they are spiritual princes, and we know that because the angel, uh, the figure who's talking to Daniel, says that he was doing battle with the prince of Persia, and Michael had to come help him so that he could get loose to come bring Daniel the answer to the prayer that he was, been, was praying. There are a lot of things we don't understand about all that, but the reality is there's a lot more going on uh, in the spiritual realm than we are aware of, than we see. And so Michael, again, is that prince. He's, the Bible calls him an archangel. He's specifically connected with the Jewish people. And he says there, second half of verse 1, There shall be a time of trouble, such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Once again, Jesus says something like that as well. Right? That he warns his disciples in Matthew 24. Then there will be a time, or then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So Jesus, again, takes up the words of Daniel and uses them to, to warn and encourage and instruct uh, his disciples. So there's going to be a time of great trouble. Right? Michael is going to be involved somehow, but there's also going to be deliverance for God's people. And he mentions specifically everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now that is a reference to what Scripture later calls the book of life. Right? Paul, when he's giving instructions uh, to the church at Philippi, he says in, in Philippians 4, I ask you also, true companion... Help these women who were having some kind of conflict. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Meaning they are believers, they are part of the people of God, they belong to God, they're Christians. right? Uh, th this book is also mentioned in Revelation 20. When it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened which is the book of life. So he's saying those whose names are written in the book of life, those who belong to God, they will be delivered. Though there will be great tribulation, though there will be uh, a time of great trouble, 
God's people will be rescued. He will not abandon us. He will deliver us. And then he says in verse 2, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now that verse is one of the clearest statements about the resurrection that we have anywhere in the Old Testament. It's not the only one, but it is perhaps the clearest one. And we know that it's talking about resurrection, not because it uses the word. You won't find the word resurrection in that verse. But because of what it describes. When it says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. What does he mean when he talks about sleeping in the dust of the earth? Well, it's not your soul that goes to sleep in the dust. Right? That's talking about what happens to your body. From the beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve... We're told that they were going to die because of their sin. We're told uh, our bodies came from the dust, right? And they will return to the dust. And so when somebody dies, right, your body returns to the dust and, and you take on a posture of sleep, right? We, your body looks like it's sleeping. And so when he says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, he's talking about our bodies, right, that have gone to sleep, figuratively speaking, right, and returned to the dust. He says what's going to happen is those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Again, he has to be talking about your body. Your body that has seemed to go to sleep, so to speak, is now going to wake up. It is going to rise. It is going to be revived in a sense. It's going to be resurrected. And it's not just believers that this is going to happen to. But he says, some are going to awake, to rise, to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And normally when we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about either the resurrection of Christ or the resurrection of believers. And that's fitting because that's what the Bible emphasizes as well. But there's also uh, consistently taught across Scripture the reality of the resurrection both of believers and unbelievers, both of the just and of the unjust. So, for example, Jesus himself says this in uh, a statement that, again, is very similar to what we read here in Daniel. In John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, the voice of the Son of Man, the voice of Jesus, and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Right, so Jesus is going to speak. People are going to come out of their tombs. They're going to be raised. But some, when they experience resurrection, their resurrection experience is going to mean everlasting life. Right? They're going to go into the presence of God. They're going to live in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And they're going to enjoy that renewal because... They belong to Christ. But for some, they're going to experience resurrection, but their experience of resurrection is going to be very different. They're going to be raised not to life, but to judgment. Or, as Daniel says, to shame and everlasting contempt. It's not that believers are raised and unbelievers aren't. Both are raised, but they have different destinations, right? Different experiences. Paul also talked about the resurrection of the just and the unjust in Acts 24 when he was on trial. 
And he was giving his defense. He says, this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So Daniel is told, right, this is part of what's going to happen in the future. There's going to be what we call a general resurrection. Believers and unbelievers are going to be raised. The difference is what happens to those who are raised. Those who believe, those whose names are in the book of life, those who are just, righteous, they've been declared righteous with God because of their faith in Him, because of faith in Christ, they will experience everlasting life, eternal life. But on the other hand, those who have persisted in their rebellion against God, who have been unjust, who've been wicked, and have not repented, have not sought out forgiveness, have not trusted Christ, for them there will likewise be an everlasting consequence, but for them it will be judgment, shame, and contempt. This is why the Scriptures so eagerly and earnestly plead with us to repent and believe the Gospel, to turn from our sin and trust In Christ, God has provided a way for us to experience life, though we deserve death. And that way is through the coming of the Anointed One, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, through His death, through His resurrection. Because He paid for our sins and rose from the dead, everybody who trusts in Him has all their sins forgiven, and then they receive resurrection to life, just as He has been raised never to die again. We get to join Him. He's the first fruits, the Bible says, of the resurrection. And at His return, all who belong to Him will be raised to dwell with Him. And Daniel's also told in verse 3 that those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Well, who are the wise? Who are they? And those who turn many to righteousness, that's who the wise are, like stars forever and ever. So the wise are those who encourage and urge people to do what is right, to turn back to God, to trust in God, and to walk in God's ways. And those who do that, he says, they will shine like the stars. Jesus, again, is probably referring to these very words when in one of his parables in Matthew 13, he says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Verse 4, though, he says, But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Now, that's different than what John is told when he receives a vision about what's going to happen in the future in the book of Revelation. But before we get to that part, let's tie up this first part just a little bit. What Jesus or what, what Daniel is being told is that his people are going to suffer, but God is going to deliver them, and their ultimate hope is resurrection. Now that's the same thing that we are told by Jesus. It's the same thing we are told to expect. It's the same hope that we have. Right? Not only in terms of what things are going to be like at the very end, but what things are like right now. Jesus told his disciples when he was about to go to the cross in Matthew 16, 33, 
He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Is that not a summary of what Daniel has just been told? You are going to have trouble. You are going to have tribulation. But I have told you these things, things, Daniel, so that you may have peace. And take heart, I have overcome the world. How has he overcome the world? Through his death and resurrection, which secures our resurrection, which gives us hope beyond any trouble or trial that we experience in this world. So, the words of Daniel, though in some sense they are distant and, and far back in history, you know, they are also very appropriate, contemporary, applicable to what we're experiencing right now. Not least because Daniel was basically saying in advance what Jesus himself would say to all who would follow him. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I want us to notice here at the end the difference between the book of Daniel and Revelation. There, there is a lot of connections. There are a lot of connections between Daniel and Revelation. Um, and one of them is that Daniel is told to shut the book that he has written and to seal it until the time of the end. In other words, it's not really time for this book to be Revealed or to be made widely known. But in the book of Revelation, in chapter 22, John is told, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So Daniel is basically told, seal up your book because the time is not here yet. John is told, and I think the words echo Daniel on purpose, right, to make us think about the difference. Daniel's told, or excuse me, John told, don't seal up your book because the time is near. Now, what does that mean that the time is near? Because John wrote those words almost 2,000 years ago. And some of the things Daniel wrote took place only a few hundred years after he wrote them. So what, does, what is different for John than for Daniel? The main difference is that Christ has now come. And with the coming of Christ, we are now and have been since his death and resurrection in the last days. Now we tend to think of the last days as just like that last period right before the return of Christ. But according to scripture, the last days began with the coming of Christ. This is the last phase This is the last major section of God's timeline. We are now waiting for the final act, or the the climax of the final act, with the return of Christ. But ever since his first coming, we have been living in the last days. For example, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has just died, rose, ascended into heaven, and he sends the Holy Spirit on his disciples And they're speaking in all these different languages, talking about what God has done. And a a crowd is thinking, who are these guys and why are they talking this way and what is going on? And Peter stands up to explain and he says to them, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh 
and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and so on and so on. In other words, Peter's saying what Joel prophesied would happen about God pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. That was a prophecy for the last days, and it is being fulfilled right now. That's why all these people are speaking in all these different languages. Through the gift, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Similarly, in the book of Hebrews, the opening lines of Hebrews say, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So the reason why we are near, the reason why John was near, is not just because we're further down the calendar than Daniel was, though that's true. The reason why we are so much nearer than Daniel was, and even John was so much nearer than Daniel was, is because Christ has come. And what we're waiting on now is simply His return. We don't know how long that's going to be. The Bible says it's soon, right? But soon with God is different sometimes than soon with us, right? It it might still be a while. It's certainly been longer than probably the early Christians thought it would be. I mean, for them to imagine 2,000 years probably would have been, you know, just beyond comprehension. It's been longer than they expected. It may be longer than we expect. But we are near to it, right? We are near to it because we are already in the last days. This is the last act of the story that God is telling. We are near the end. Nearer than Daniel was. Daniel's also told something we're told all throughout Scripture, which is that there's really only two ways to respond to all this. In verse 10, he's told, uh, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. In the Bible, there's not three, four, five, six, seven different ways people can go. There's really just one way. You can be wise, listening to God, turning toward Him, trusting Him, walking in His ways. Or you can be wicked, refusing to listen to God and going your own way. Those are the two choices. Jesus said the same thing, right? You've got wise and foolish builders. One built his house on the rock, one built his house on the sand. They both heard my words, but only one did what I said. You only have two choices. Are you going to listen and respond, or are you going to ignore and do what you want to do? Daniel's told the same thing is going to keep happening. Right? It's going to be the wise and it's going to be the wicked. Those who purify themselves, make themselves white and be refined, that's not meaning that they can somehow clean themselves up, make themselves righteous. It's just, he's saying the same thing that John says in 1 John 3 when he says that when Christ returns, we're going to see Him, and when we see Him, we'll be like Him. And then he says about that, everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, if you are anticipating the coming of Christ, when you get to see him and be transformed into his likeness, then right now you're going to try to live as much like him as you can. You're going to try to be holy. You're going to try to be Christ-like. Now, he's also told about this period of 1,290 days in verse 11 and 1,335 days. Days in verse 12, the 1290 days comes out to about three and a half years. If you divide that up into days and months and so on, which is what he was also told about back in verse 7. The times, times, and half a time probably refers to a period of three and a half years as well. Daniel doesn't 
understand everything about that, but he's told, well, that's okay. All right, don't worry about it, Daniel. Verse 13 says, Go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Now, as you and I come to the end of the book of Daniel, there's probably a lot of questions we still have too. Daniel still had questions. I still have questions. You probably still have questions. That's okay. But here's what I hope that we can walk away from this study knowing. One, I hope we walk away knowing more than before, understanding more confidently than before, that God is not only in control of everything that happens, but he knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. And some of it he has told us about before it happens. He knows everything. He's in control of everything. The the consistent message throughout the book of Daniel is trust God and he will take care of it. You're under the thumb of wicked pagan governments. That's okay. Trust God. His kingdom is going to prevail in the end. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to take place. Put your hope and trust in Him. So that's one thing I hope we walk away with, is a a greater confidence in God's sovereignty, God's control, right, and God's knowledge of all that's going to take place, and therefore of our reason to, to trust Him when we don't know what's going on and we know we're not in control. And the second thing is I hope we look forward even more Right, to the return of Christ and to the hope of resurrection that the Bible holds out for us. Right, because the book of Daniel has reminded us again and again, and our experience reminds us again and again, and the New Testament reminds us again and again, that we are going to experience times of trouble, trial, tribulation, hardship. That's just part of it. That's part of living in a fallen world. It's part of God's plan, too. But, God tells us in the midst of all that, there is coming a day when you will be raised, when the the heavens and the earth as you know them will pass away. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And in that place, there's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more mourning, crying. No more tribulation and hardship there. There, there's going to be peace and righteousness and joy forever. There, you will get to live in the presence of God. There, you will get to see your Savior face to face. There, you will enjoy full resurrection life in the presence of God. That is our sure and certain hope. 